If you would turn in your Bibles to the first letter of the Apostle John, it's found near the end of the New Testament. We have spent much time now in the Gospel of John, and we're turning now to the first of his three letters to the church as we look this evening at the idea of fellowship. You know that we have been in the past few weeks in a topical series on the various one another subjects of Scripture, and this evening's topic is to have fellowship with one another. And so the text that I've chosen for this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. 1 John 1, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Dear Lord, we ask this evening that You would fix our eyes and our hearts upon the Savior that we would see that our fellowship together as a church is centered on and begins with our fellowship with Jesus. That because He has bought us with a price, we are now a part of a family and we may love one another, encourage one another, and equip one another. And so we ask this evening that we would be spurred on to be committed to each other through thick and thin, through good and bad. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. What binds people together? I think that's an appropriate question to think about when we think about fellowship. You know, in our circles and in the church at large, we think of fellowship, the first thing that often comes to our mind, quite frankly, is food. 
That's how we have fellowship. As a matter of fact, you look in your bulletin this evening, we're having a, a fellowship supper. But fellowship is not about the food that we enjoy or even the time that we have to spend together. Fellowship is a commitment. It's a relationship that expresses itself in the church. And as we gather together in various times and places with various events, those events allow us to enjoy the fellowship that we have one with another. It's not about the meal that we come to or the event that's before us. It's about the relationship that we have. Some groups of people are bound together around a task or a goal. They've got something that they want to accomplish, and they're all working with one accord toward that event. Perhaps the most common example of that in our day and age are various sports teams. You know, the famous saying, there's no I in the word team. And even though people have very different personalities, very different giftings, the only way to be successful as a team is to come together. Others are bound by geography or nationality. They grow up in the same area. They have the same tastes in food and in clothing and in language. And that binds them together. But the interesting thing is that the church is very different from any other organization or group in really the history of the world. The church is truly diverse. Now we talk about diversity all the time now in America. But usually that is a cover for uniformity of thinking or of action or of desires. The church is truly diverse. It is one from all peoples of all nations, all tribes, all tongues and languages. There is nothing as diverse as the church because after all the only thing that binds the church together is Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is what brings people together from Africa and Asia and America and Europe from the 16th century to the 21st century. The church is brought together around Jesus Christ. And what John is showing us here this evening is that we have fellowship one with another because we are a family, because we are drawn together by Jesus. It's not just that we all have Jesus in common. Don't hear me just saying that. It's that Jesus himself draws us together as the church of God, as the people of God, as the family of God. And so what I'd like us to see this evening are three things. First, we see that Jesus is the origin of fellowship. Fellowship originates with Jesus. Second, we see that Jesus produces fellowship. He's not just the origin of fellowship, but he produces it as well. And then thirdly, we see that fellowship is a sign of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings his people together, and that fellowship that we share is a sign to the world of the gospel and the victory of Christ. Jesus is the origin of fellowship. Jesus produces fellowship. And 
Fellowship is a sign of the gospel of Christ. Let's begin then by looking at how John introduces this letter. He tells us first and foremost who Jesus is. And this is important. You'll notice he starts in the first few verses describing our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to build up to the fact of fellowship. To the fellowship that Christians have with Christ and with the Father and then therefore with each other. And so he starts back at before the beginning. The beginning of this letter, John, 1 John 1, 1, sounds an awful lot like the Gospel of John, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. I want you to see here that John begins with Jesus. He doesn't begin with the Gospel. He doesn't begin with faith. He doesn't begin with the cause of the church of Christ. He begins with Jesus. Because even before Jesus was proclaimed, he was. And so in this language, he's drawing us back to before time began, as he did in the very first chapter of his gospel. And why does he do this? What does this show us? It shows us that the origin of Christianity, the origin of our faith, the origin of the church is Jesus. It's not the gospel message. You see, we could sometimes be confused about that. We think that Christianity starts with the message of the gospel. That that's what we have, that's the beginning, that's what we are to bring. But John says that the origin of our faith, the origin of the church is Jesus. It's not the message first. It's the messenger. It's Jesus. And he assures us that none of this is made up. And this is important for us as we think about our fellowship as the people of God. There is nothing artificial about our fellowship. There is nothing contrived. We don't need to try and convince ourselves that we have more in common than we do. No. We see the Lord Jesus Christ and we see that he is ours and everything else flows from that. And what that tells us is, is that the church is primarily not about solving our problems. It's about Jesus. And so that has implications for our fellowship. Because you see, there are many who come to the church who are lonely, who are sad who are discouraged, and they find help, encouragement, fellowship, and love. But that's not the primary purpose of the church. It's not to meet your needs. The primary purpose of the church is to belong to Jesus. And everything else simply flows as a blessing from him to us. Now, don't get me wrong, the message of the gospel is intimately related to the messenger. John makes this point in verse 2. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Jesus indeed did come with a message. He came with a purpose. He is the word of life. And that's because he is life itself. John reminds us of that in the 14th chapter of his gospel. 
when he records that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just that Jesus contains life. It's not just that Jesus contains hope. He is life. And he brings life to his people as they gather together. Now, this is not some philosophy. It is not something that we need to believe and get our arms around and hope is true. No, Jesus was manifested in the flesh, John tells us. That means Jesus is real. So when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not an ideal that we all strive to. This is, of course, where the church went astray in the 18th and 19th centuries, thinking about Jesus as some kind of an ideal that we strive toward. He gives us something to go forward to and brings people together in the same way that we just spoke about earlier of people moving forward together to accomplish something or for a goal. Jesus is not a goal to be attained. No, he is real. And we can have a real confidence in him based in the truth. And this affects us. It changes us. It changes our entire view of the world. We can't look at the world the same again. We can be glad that we are Americans and that we live in a nation where we have freedoms to gather together this evening, for example, to worship. But when you come to Jesus, that's no longer your primary loyalty. You are a Christian before you are an American. Before anything else you belong to Jesus Christ. And when America is long gone, the church will go on. And the church will go on not just with Americans, but with people from every nation in this earth. It changes our priorities. And so again, we can, in our world, we can work for various priorities that we think will help us, help our children and our grandchildren, and help us as we live. But we can never choose priorities that are contrary to the priorities of the gospel and of the church. We are drawn together by Jesus. And Jesus is the origin of our fellowship, not just in who he is, but because we proclaim him. Look at what John says here. In verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It is not enough for us to merely see the truth. We have to proclaim it. Now, to proclaim something means to tell it. But it's more than that. You know, it's not just saying something. It's announcing it. It's declaring it. You've seen this in your household. Perhaps where a young child will come into the living room and begin proclaiming to mom and dad what's happening and how wonderful this is. And usually when children proclaim in this way, they can't help but jump up and down. It, it affects every fiber of their being. And the volume has to be very loud, which, which I appreciate. You see, it's not something you can keep inside. You have to proclaim the gospel. It's a very public event. We could also translate this word announce. 
So if we are to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, our fellowship cannot be a closed group. There are plenty of fellowships, secret societies, organizations that you can't belong to. You know, it's often said that I would never want to be in a member of a particular society if they were willing to have me as a member. They're probably not worth it. But you see, the church is the opposite of a restrained, a secret, a cloistered fellowship. It is open to all. No Christian is ever able to look at another and say, well, I'm not really sure you've got what it takes. Because the gospel tells us that none of us have what it takes. And so all are welcome to the cross. All are welcome to the church. And that's one reason why we've been going through this series on one anothering. Because, you see, that causes friction in the church. We're not all on exactly the same page. We don't all like exactly the same things. We don't all speak the same language. And that's okay because the gospel is for all. You don't have to fit in with the group. No. You are a part of the church, a part of the family of God, merely because you belong to Jesus. And it is the task of the church, of the fellowship of the church, to grow by proclaiming the gospel throughout all the world. It is the last great command that our Lord gave to his disciples. He said that they were to take the gospel to every nation, baptizing them and teaching them all that he's commanded, that they were to take it to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to make this fellowship complete. It requires us to speak to others, to be open with others, to be close with others. Do you see that the very nature of the gospel and the church requires you to reach out to others and enfold them in? That's important for us to see. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus produces fellowship. The reason for this proclamation is so that others will know Jesus. And when others know Jesus, then they will be in fellowship with us. Notice what John says here. We proclaim so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now notice the present tense here of this. You will have it now. Not in the future. Not if you pass some tests. We're proclaiming Jesus so you can be in fellowship with us right now. There is an association amongst fellow believers. There is a communion amongst believers. That communion is so strong that when we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. Have you ever wondered why we use that phrase? We use that phrase because the Lord's Supper reminds us that each of us is in union with Christ. And when we are in union with Christ, we are in communion with each other. It's what the gospel does. And there's a partnership that happens. Because if I am called to proclaim the gospel, and if others hear the gospel and are brought into this fellowship, then they similarly are called to proclaim the gospel. And we have a partnership in that work. It goes beyond us. That outward-facing nature 
continues to grow and expand as we have fellowship one with another. Now, fellowship, as John means it here, has terms. Now, notice that this is not just a get-together. This is not a mixer. It's not a potluck. It's a gathering of God's people. And that fellowship that we have with John and the other apostles that he calls here is based upon what we believe. I don't think we often think about fellowship, even in the context of the church, as being based on truth and belief. We think about it as being based on mutual likes or personalities. And it is a sad thing about the church that often within the church there are fellowships that grow up in small pockets of the church. There are those who associate only with each other and not with the rest of the church. And we have pockets of fellowship here and there, hither and yon. But what John is saying is our fellowship is around the truth of God's word and the gospel. We have to begin with the truth. And that is how we call others to Christ. And the reason that truth is so important is the dual nature of this fellowship. We relate to each other based upon how we relate to God. You can't take that out of the equation. John founds the fellowship that believers have with each other upon the fellowship that they have with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Without the fellowship with God Himself that we have, we have no fellowship with each other. Foundational to our fellowship is our relationship with the Lord. And that means that our fellowship is not based on our terms. We can't make God into our image. We can't fashion the church as to how we would like it to be. It's based on the objective revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why John says, life was manifest. We have seen and we have heard, we have handled, we have looked upon. It's based on objective truth about who we know that Jesus is. And John makes this clear by speaking of the Father and of the Son. He's summarizing the gospel. He's summarizing who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he summarizes how we have this fellowship together. And this fellowship, John says, brings joy. You see that here in verse 4? And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our fellowship brings joy. Joy begins with our fellowship with Jesus, but it grows as we declare Him. The life of God is a life of shared joy. That's why John must write this book. That's why we must proclaim, because that is the order of life. Proclamation, true fellowship, and then joy. You see, our fellowship brings joy into our lives because that is what Jesus Christ has intended. He intends us to be brought together. You may have heard some say this. I know I've said this at least on one occasion, that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. I know I've said it another way around the Lord's Supper, that you cannot 
believe in Jesus and reject his church. If you have Jesus, you have his church. You don't get a choice. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are signed up for the church. You can't stay distant from it. You can't say you don't need it. You can't try and avoid other believers. Because when you do that, you are denying true faith in Christ. You're denying the value of other believers that Jesus has shed his blood for. And so we must understand that our Lord Jesus Christ not only is the foundation or origin of fellowship, but he produces the fellowship that we have. Finally, thirdly, John describes how fellowship is a sign of the gospel. You see, when we see others know Jesus, that's what brings us joy. That is the other-centered nature of the gospel. What the gospel is all about is seeing others come to Christ. Others join us in the church, joining our fellowship. That's what John says when he says that our joy may be complete. There is a very real sense that our joy should not be complete until Jesus' mission is complete. That's what you should be looking for. You know, we looked this morning at a story about a man who was healed and about religious leaders that were concerned that he was breaking their rules. And that bears on what we're looking at this evening because, you see, there is no better test of the truth of someone's relationship to God than their care for the lost. Their desire to see others brought to Christ. To see the fellowship expanded. To see the joy of Christ come to others so that their joy may be expanded and their joy may be full. There is a very real sense that our joy will not be full until glory. When every soul has been brought to Christ, when every believer has been made a part of the church of God, when all are gathered around the wedding feast of the Lamb, then we can sit back and say, my joy is full. We're all here. Now, you understand how that works, don't you? We've reached the stage in our lives where our children are grown, mostly, and off in various places. And we're now at a place where we can't take for granted um, celebrations and holidays like we used to when we were younger, when everyone would be around the table and no one would be missed. And now we'll have gatherings and three of the four children will be around. Or two of the four. And as our family continues to expand, there are more who are necessary to be around. Your joy is in full. You can have joy. Don't get me wrong. It's not as Christians that we walk around with a dour look on our face and we say, oh, this is miserable until glory. No, but there's something missing. And so I want to ask you that. When you think about fellowship, do you think that there's something missing? Better yet, there's someone missing. That there are those whom Jesus has died for out there and they need to be in here. They need to be a part of our fellowship. That should bring you joy. 
It shouldn't be a task that you have to go about because Jesus tells you you have to tell others about him. It should be an encouragement to see your joy become full. That's the point of evangelism and missions. It's not about numbers. It's not even about obedience to Christ's command. It's about the joy that comes when others know Christ. When others know the truth, we rejoice. And we rejoice not merely because they are spared judgment. We rejoice because they are brought into fellowship with us. Our fellowship has grown. It's become deeper. You know, sometimes I think we think about the gospel and the work of the kingdom as winning. That the gospel needs to go forward and we need to proclaim the gospel so we win over the culture, so we win over the people, so we show that God is more powerful than the secular forces in our world. That's not what the gospel's about. What the gospel is primarily about is fellowship with Christ. You see, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you are forgiven your sins, and you are saved, that is not the primary purpose of Jesus' work. I know that seems odd. It may even be offensive to you to hear that Jesus in his work is not primarily rescuing you from hell. The primary work of Jesus Christ is to purchase for himself a people. That he would have them. That they would belong to him. That they would gather around him. That they would worship God together. And that they would be joyous together. That's the primary purpose. And in order to get there, Jesus needs to satisfy our debt. He needs to wipe out our sin. He needs to make us righteous. In a real sense, that's a means to an end. Jesus can't have a people that are unspotted, that will dwell with him forever in eternity, unless he purchases them with his blood. But we're not going to spend eternity fighting off sin. We're going to spend eternity in the family of God. Do you want to increase your joy in life now? Well, let me tell you, you won't find it in a new car or in a vacation or in another degree or in a better job. All of those things may be worthwhile efforts. But the only way you will really increase your joy is if you commit to the fellowship that God has given you in his people. That's what John says. And he even goes so far as to say that fellowship shows the result of the gospel change. Look with me at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You see, we cannot lie about the fellowship that we have with Christ. We can't say we have fellowship and then walk in a way that is contrary to our Lord. The lie is found in our actions and in our life. 
But the fellowship that we have with Jesus points us to the truth and the reality of the gospel. When we walk together in the light, the light of God's word, we know that we have fellowship with one another. That's how we know our fellowship is true. We're all changed by the gospel and we walk together in the light. We must remember that the foundation of fellowship is Christ. We can enjoy other aspects of it. I'm not telling you not to have wonderful conversations with friends. I'm certainly not telling you not to enjoy the meal that's been prepared for us tonight. I know I will. But we must remember that our fellowship is founded on Christ, centered on Christ. And when we remember that, then we rejoice. And then all of those little things that bother us, that rub us the wrong way about other people and we others, they become minor distractions. They're not really even worth talking about anymore. You know, those of you that have been married for some length of time know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not as if when you've been married that all of your bad habits have been whittled away. Right? I know mine haven't. But you don't talk about them every day, do you? You just kind of pass them by. Because in the big picture, they really mean very little. You know, we joke all the time about the, the person who doesn't put the, the top on the toothpaste tube or the person who doesn't put the dishes in the dishwasher. But who would say to their wife or their husband, you know what, I'm done. This toothpaste thing is driving me insane. I'm moving out and the marriage is over. Now, if someone were to say that, what would you say? You'd say they have no commitment to begin with to the marriage. So it is in the church. When someone speaks to you in a way that is a little bit harsh or doesn't pay as much attention to you as you think they should or doesn't include you in every conversation or every email chain, you have to remember that your fellowship is not grounded in those things. It's grounded in Jesus. Now, you may as well start having fellowship with fellow followers of Christ right now. Because you're going to be in fellowship for all eternity. And if you weren't, that would be even worse. Fellowship is like a family. Jesus died to make us a family. We are to act like it. Let's pray.